From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. In previous podcasts, we've discussed how some government officials abused their power and infringed on Second Amendment rights during the COVID shutdowns in 2020. We've also outlined landmark new legislation from Buckeye Firearms Association and its partners to prevent such abuses at times of declared emergency. In this episode of Keep and Bear Radio, we'll hear testimony from BFA and the National Shooting Sports Foundation in support of this legislation. And we'll hear from citizens who had their firearms confiscated in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm about to play a couple of recordings I made at the Ohio State House recently during testimony for Senate Bill 185. There are actually two companion bills, House Bill 325, sponsored by Representative Scott Wiggum, and Senate Bill 185, sponsored by Senator Tim Schaefer. And what I mean by companion bills is that these bills are identical, and they've been introduced simultaneously in the House and in the Senate in order to speed up the legislative process. These bills would limit government power during emergencies. Specifically, the two bills declare firearms possession, transportation, carrying, commerce, training, range access, as well as hunting and fishing to be life-sustaining, essential activities. Both local and state government authorities are prohibited from infringing these rights under the guise of a declared emergency, either on a local or state level. Further, the legislation provides legal recourse for people who experience unjust infringements on these essential rights. What that means is that if your rights are infringed, you can sue. This legislation was born last year during a phone call I had with our legislative affairs director as we discussed how seven states had essentially shut down the firearms industry with emergency health orders, including Michigan, New Mexico, Massachusetts, New York, Vermont, Washington, and, of course, California. In the next few minutes, we launched a plan to write and introduce legislation to prevent state and local government from abusing their powers in time of emergency. 24 states have some form of emergency powers legislation like this, but along with our partners, the NRA and NSSF, and sponsors Representative Wiggum and Senator Schaefer, we created the most powerful and most comprehensive legislation of its kind in the United States. House Bill 325 and Senate Bill 185 are crucial bills to defend constitutional rights because whatever other pro-gun protections may be in place, nearly every state and local government has provisions that empower them to do an end run on the Constitution by merely declaring an emergency. Let me read what Ohio law says. This is from Ohio Revised Code, Section 3761.16. Areas threatened by riot may be cordoned off. 
the chief administrative officer of a political subdivision with police powers, when engaged in suppressing a riot or when there is a clear and present danger of a riot, may cordon off any area or areas threatened by the riot and prohibit persons from entering the cordoned off area or areas except when carrying on necessary and legitimate pursuits and may prohibit the sale, offering for sale, dispensing or transportation of firearms or other dangerous weapons, ammunition, dynamite, or other dangerous explosives in, to, or from the cordoned off areas. Now this is talking about riots, but let's dig deeper. Let's look at what the law says at the local level. Here's the city ordinance in my hometown, and this is typical of the language and the laws of cities, villages, and townships all over the state. Authority of City Manager Whenever the city manager determines that an emergency exists as a result of any natural disaster or man-made calamity, or clear and present danger thereof, or riot, insurrection, mob action, or other civil disturbance causing danger of injury or damage to any person or property, he shall have power to impose by proclamation any or all of the following regulations necessary to restore peace and order to the city. Then there's a long list of things that the city manager or the mayor can do, such as prohibit or limit the number of persons who may gather or congregate, establish a curfew, order the closing of gasoline stations, and so on. And then there are these three provisions. Prohibit or restrict the sale, distribution, dispensing, or giving away of any firearms or ammunition of any character whatsoever. Order the closing of any and all establishments or portions thereof engaged in the sale, distribution, dispensing, or giving away of firearms and or ammunition. Prohibit or restrict the carrying or possession on the public streets or sidewalks or in any public park or square or any other public place, a weapon or any object intended to be used as a weapon, including but not limited to firearms, bows and arrows, air rifles, slingshots, knives, razors, broken bottles, firebombs, missiles of any kind, clubs, blackjacks, bellies, chains, or similar items. Notice how this isn't just about riots. The city can declare an emergency and do these things for any number of reasons. And the important thing to remember is that these emergency powers override other laws. So no matter what pro-gun or pro-liberty laws we might ordinarily have, all it takes is for a mayor or city manager to declare an emergency and your rights vanish. In other words, it's a loophole, a giant gaping loophole in our constitutional rights. That is why we need this emergency powers legislation, to make sure our rights are codified in the law in times of emergency when we most need those rights. Now, if you want to see what your hometown laws say, just Google the city name, the state, and the word ordinances. For example, Columbus, Ohio, ordinances, or Newark, Ohio, ordinances. If you live in another state, just do the same thing. Lexington, Kentucky, ordinances, or whatever. 
Once you've found the ordinances for your hometown, search for authority of mayor or authority of city manager or look for references to riots or emergencies. You may be shocked by what you find. Now let's listen to the audio clips I promised you. First up, Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director, giving testimony before the Veterans and Public Safety Committee on June 8, 2021, for Senate Bill 185. This is followed immediately by Chris Lee with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Thank you, Chairman Hoagland and members of the Senate Veterans and Public Safety Committee for the opportunity to speak today in favor of Senate Bill 185. I am Rob Sexton, Legislative Affairs Director for Buckeye Firearms Association. BFA protects the rights of Ohio's four million gun owners, and of course that's what brings me here today in support of this legislation. We greatly appreciate Senator Schaefer's willingness to sponsor this bill, which is a top priority for our organization during this General Assembly. He did a great job last week explaining what the bill does and the general justification behind it. So in the interest of uh, respecting your time, I'm not going to reiterate those points. Instead, I'd like to begin by addressing a question that was posed in an article carried by the Columbus Dispatch and the Cincinnati Enquirer uh, that came in the aftermath of the press conference announcing the bill. The question in the headline of the article that covered Senate Bill 185's introduction was, is it necessary? The article went on to point out some of the things we actually said in our own press conference, that Ohio has a very pro-gun rights-minded legislature, that Ohio Governor Mike DeWine did not infringe upon the rights of gun owners during his response to the COVID-19 crisis. So the article raised the fair question, is it necessary? I'd like to begin by pointing out that over the last year and a half, Businesses, access to recreational facilities, and even extended family gatherings were all shut down under the declaration of an emergency. I'm 54 years old, and 2020 was the first time that I ever missed a holiday with my own parents during all that time. In fact, we missed Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, and then Easter again before the whole thing was over. In my whole life, we never missed those gatherings together. So obviously the impact of the emergency declarations were far to and impacted many people across the state. But it wasn't just holidays that were affected, obviously. We worked at home and schools closed, travel came to a screeching halt, restaurants closed and some even permanently, and even Disney World closed. That's how you know it was serious. At some point among all this though, it really hit me, all joking aside, government has a humongous amount of power when it comes to an emergency. And in my 54 years, I've never seen government exercise it in quite such a dramatic fashion. But like the newspaper pointed out, it didn't affect gun owners or gun stores here in Ohio. For that matter, it didn't affect churches, although we saw a lot of headlines about that question. So what separates those items that I just mentioned from churches, from gun owners? Obviously, the First and Second Amendments of the United States Constitution in Article 1, Section 4 and 7 of the Ohio Constitution in an even stronger fashion. And yet, we saw in some with almost one million sportsmen, Michigan's a state with a heritage of gun ownership that I think most Michiganders I knew growing up would, would have never thought that gun stores would be closed down during an emergency, and yet they were. During this time, BFA leadership discussed the history of Hurricane Katrina, which Senator Schaefer cited 
last week in his testimony when New Orleans authorities confiscated firearms without cause under the guise of a declared emergency. Following that, states began to enact what they called back then Katrina-style law, which simply defined the restrictions that government would exist on when it came to your Second Amendment rights. That effort has continued since 2005 and, and began to pick up steam again in the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis this past year and a half. 24 states have passed legislation of this type. It's BFA's intention that Ohio would be the 25th. With such strong constitutional protections in both state and federal law, again, the question, why, was, why is this necessary? It certainly doesn't get more clear than the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Or Ohio's version, which reads, the people have the right to bear arms for their defense and security. So why do we need more than that? One reason is because the courts have the right to interpret what government can do during the, during the time of an emergency. And in fact, they've been asked to do that very thing. So during this past year and a half, courts interpreted that a governor had the right to override the constitutionally protected rights of worship. Or the government had a right to limit access to a firearm because it was an emergency. So we didn't have those problems here. But the, so the real question is, again, why would we ask you for it? But it's necessary because things change. So Ohio got it right, but things change. I never thought I'd see a day when a state known as rugged New Mexico would begin banning hunting methods at the same pace they've banned them in California, but that's happening right now. I never thought I'd see a day when Rocky Mountain, Colorado would enact gun restrictions in line with those of California and New York, but it's happening right now. Red states become blue, blue states become red. Times change, politics change. It would be foolish to wait until things change to spell out in plain English to help the court to know what the legislature believes the power of government is during a declared emergency. It would be foolish to wait to spell out in plain English that our right to own, possess, transport, train, carry, and purchase a firearm for our safety, recreation, and food are not subject to restriction during a time of an emergency. In fact, the strongest argument can be made that it's during the time of an emergency when people need their protected civil rights and notably their Second Amendment rights. It's apparent from the judicial decisions that I referenced that courts need this kind of guidance and it would be foolish of us to wait until they get it wrong to try to come back and fix it. Because there can be during times of extreme circumstances the opportunity when these cases come up, we've seen it, and our rights to protect our families by purchasing and owning firearms should not be infringed. Waiting until Ohio's political behavior is less friendly simply means a law like this will not be enacted. It is BFA's hope that this committee would pass this legislation and send it to the floor for consideration. We believe that Ohio should become the 25th state to take up this measure and, and, and make it law and I appreciate very much the chance to talk with you about it today, and I would be happy to answer any questions that committee members would have. Good afternoon. Chairman Hoagland, Vice Chair Johnson, Ranking Member Thomas, and members of the Senate Veterans and Public Safety Committee. It is an honor to be with you here today to testify in support of Senate Bill 185. My name is Chris Lee, and I'm here on behalf of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. NSSF is the trade association for the firearm industry across the country. Here in Ohio, our members in our industry employ over 12,000 Ohioans. 
As the trade association for the firearm industry, we worked throughout COVID to help our members navigate the various stay-home orders throughout the country. In order to demonstrate the necessity and widespread support of legislation like SB 185, I'd like, you, I'd like to walk you through a brief timeline of what we saw throughout the country. At the onset of the COVID-19 crisis, the firearm industry was exempt from the stay-home orders in nearly, 24, in nearly 25 states by existing emergency power statutes like the one that would be created by this bill. Most of those protections were put in place as a result of Hurricane Katrina and the government response that followed, which include forced confiscation of firearms. As stay-home orders were issued, beginning in March of 2020, many governors and states without emergency power protections, um, like Governor DeWine here in Ohio, deemed the firearm industry to be essential and exempt from the stay-home orders. One of the first governors to designate the firearm industry to be essential was Governor Pritzker in Illinois. When pressed by a reporter, a Chicago reporter about this who seemed very surprised, the governor responded, quote, we wanted to make sure people had the ability to protect themselves if they need to. Most governors agreed, and by March 26, 40 states had declared our industry to be exempt from stay-home orders, either through existing statute or designation within the executive orders that they've issued. On March 28, 2020, the Department of Homeland Security released a list of critical infrastructure sectors. That list included workers supporting the operation of firearm or ammunition product manufacturers, retailers, importers, distributors, and shooting ranges. More states accepted that guidance from the Department of Homeland Security, and by April 9th, the firearm industry was open in 43 states. The remaining seven states continued to order the firearm industry closed, including one Midwest state, Michigan. In Massachusetts, U.S. District Court Judge um, Douglas Woodlock ruled against the Massachusetts order over the summer, writing in his decision that, quote, in this very small corner of this emergency, we do not surrender our constitutional rights. Without an operating firearm industry, Second Amendment rights of Ohioans would be greatly infringed upon. Additionally, the same supply chains that provide for civilians and the Second Amendment rights of civilians um, also provide for our military and law enforcement, which is why the Department of Homeland Security was so active in saying that they needed to be, needed to be allowed to remain open. Today, the firearm industry is open across the country. Gun sales have shattered records for 15 straight months because Americans are concerned about their personal safety, resulting in nearly 8.4 million new gun owners in 2020 alone, and we continue to break records this year. The Second Amendment does not have a pandemic clause and future governors should not be able to tell citizens that their rights end during an emergency. Thank you to Senator Schaefer for introducing this legislation and to the committee for the consideration. I should point out that there were questions from committee members, but my recording didn't pick them up very well, so I left them out. Also, John Weber with the NRA testified, and I was unable to record him. Finally, just to put an exclamation point on all of this, I want to play a few excerpts from an NRA news story documenting the gun confiscations that happened in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. You can watch the complete news report on YouTube. Just search for The Untold Story of Gun Confiscation After Katrina.
What you're about to hear are the real-life accounts of people who had their firearms taken or destroyed by law enforcement without cause or proper authority during an emergency. And this was at a time when those citizens needed to exercise their rights to defend themselves. And as you listen, keep reminding yourself that you are listening to American citizens, that this actually happened right here in the United States. I said, it's not even loaded. And I dropped it on the floor. Well, they punched me in the face. Look at my black and blue marks. Look at, look at what they did to me. They dragged me out of here. I really thought they were going to kill me. I really did. We were coming back across the lake is when we got stopped by Coast Guard and St. Tammany Sheriff's Department and the National Guard by gunpoint. We had identification. We were coming back from a house that we were taking the weapons out of so criminals wouldn't break in and steal them. And we've had uh, policemen tell us that that's what they wanted us to do, but not the sheriff in St. Tammany. They just wanted to confiscate them from us. We felt like criminals at the time when they come up to us with M16s or AR-15s, whatever it was, but there were four of them with rifles and holding on us with our hands in the air until they got in our boat. So they got on the boat and they, they asked us, do you have any loaded weapons? Yes, we do. They're in the two back compartments. Wayne went to show them where the gun was. And he screams, don't touch it. Don't even move. I'll get it. I thought it felt like it was un-American and then we had been violated when they you know, took <laughs> <laughs> like that, we were shells out. We were just sitting around looking at each other and said, we just got our guns taken away from them. They took them. And they didn't have a, a right to take them. They didn't have a reason to take them. That was the thing. We did nothing wrong. But they took them anyway. He said, be thankful we're taking your guns here. Why should I be thankful? Well, if they catch you with them on land, they're going to take you straight to jail. We live in proof that all they have to do is say, look, this is the law. You had that feeling that you were violated. You, they took something from you. They stole something from you. That's the only way to put it. They took something that they didn't have a right to take. What you come and get my gun for? I'm a good citizen. It's going against my, my constitutional rights as a citizen. You're letting the thugs get away with everything, and you're coming to honest, good citizens and taking away their protection, and it is wrong. Wrong, wrong. These cops came out of nowhere, said stop, and asked, uh, do we have weapons in the car? And I told him, yeah, I do. He said, get out the vehicle. Had us all sit cross-legged in front while they searched the vehicle. I had a 22 long rifle. My uh, tenant's girlfriend had a 22 pearl handle revolver given to her by her grandmother or grandfather. I saw them smash her gun given to her by grandmother, grandfather, just against the curb. The other things that they busted up, the 22 rifle they busted up, these were police officers that went too far. We didn't have any rights. I mean, they treated us like criminals. They treated us like if we were in a third world country. I was scared because these guys weren't doing it by the book. There was mayhem. Uh, New Orleans police did not have control of the city anymore. So the only plan they thought, I guess, was to take the guns away from the people. Heed the warning of what this was, you know. This is like Australia. 
all of a sudden, boom, they got our rights. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.